are not hidden. It's never been a moment you were forgotten. You are not hopeless. But you have been broken, your innocence stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your Mi gente, welcome to Brownie and Blue Podcast. Megan Kelly and Jenna Marie Sococcio, co-founders of Wellness for Warriors, a group supporting first responders by offering all things mental wellness, joins me on this episode. Their message and mission is a great undertaking, and I'm so thankful for them. I invite you to enjoy this great interview. Bienvenidos, bienvenidos a mi gente, uh, Brownie and Bloom podcast. We're back with another great episode. I am here with two amazing women with Wellness for Warriors, co-founders. Their mission is to provide support to first responders through many, many wellness techniques, meditation, yoga, sleep therapy, fitness, nutrition, stress management, peer support, and mindfulness. Megan Kelly, who's with us, is a yoga and meditation instructor in Boston, Massachusetts, and is a co-founder, along with Gina Marie, I'm sorry to pronounce your last name, if I butcher it, Sococcio? Close, Sococcio. Sococcio. <laughs> and she is a licensed therapist in New York State, is that correct? Yes, I'm a clinical social worker. And she also deals in matters of, uh, or I'm sorry, she a, has a master's in forensic psychology and experiences uh, with working with trauma victims. And so let's welcome them. I have a quick question for both of you, because on your website, you talk about how, was it both of you that have experienced or just individually, but together have experienced 9-11 and the Boston Marathon bombing, and also a tragic fire that claimed the lives of two Boston Back Bay firefighters. Can you guys talk about that? And welcome. Thank you so much yes. for honoring the show. Well, thank you so much for um, having us. We are thrilled to be on here um, to promote what we are doing for our amazing first responders. Um, but that is that is all me. Uh, <laughs> I um, seem to have showed up at um, every event um, in the past 20 years that uh, has occurred that way. So yes, um, I was um, present at 9-11 and um, that was probably the beginning of when I wanted to start to help our first responders. I uh, was able to see what each and every one of them do um, in the midst of tragedy, which is run towards what the rest of us run away from. Mm -hmm. um, and it was on that day and the days uh, thereafter when I was um, there trying to, to help um, with you know, family members, victims, um, that I started to think, wow, you know, our, our first responders really go through it and um, they don't have the support that they, they need. Um, and then sure enough, uh, years later, I am living in Boston and um, the Boston Marathon bombing, I'm uh, three streets over from that. And uh, that's where I live now um, and was also present that day, um, very close to where Martin Richard, um, the, the, one of the youngest um, marathon victims uh, was taken. And again, saw the amazing response from our uh, local PD and fire and just and what they did and the trauma and what they see and go through. Um, and then yes, a year later, um, I have uh, six month old twins and um, it's a, a nice day in the back bay um, and uh, just in nine alarm, fire takes over um, a brownstone in Boston and trapped um, two amazing Boston firefighters, both who had responded to the marathon bombing. 
and it was about uh, two weeks out from the first year anniversary. Um, they were trapped. We, um, my girls and I, were able to make it out safely, um, and it was that moment at, that I said, you know, my the rest of my life will be giving back to those who who give so much to us. So that um, was all me, but Gina Marie <laughs> um, has has so much, and so I'm going to let you kind of take it from here, Gina Marie, and, and how we sort of came together. Um, so, right, as you said, I am a New York State licensed clinical social worker. I worked in the mental health field full-time for almost a decade. I worked inpatient, outpatient, um, in residential treatment centers, all with trauma victims and their families. Um, I got to a point with the system that I was working within that I wasn't able to provide the help that I really wanted to provide. And I had a background in forensic psychology, always was into law enforcement. Um, and I decided that I was going to kind of, I took a police test with my brother, scored really high, started getting like um, canvas letters and I kind of crossed my fingers, held my breath and made the plunge and became a police officer and just kind of hoped that it would be the right decision. Um, so I know firsthand all of the stuff and the stress that um, first responders experience. I understand the schedules. I understand the lack of resources and support. Um, but I also understand the other side of it, being able to provide that support and being able to actively engage and relate to first responders and develop kind of, uh, you know, a, a trust and a rapport with them that they don't trust in outside therapists or within their own department. That's definitely true. And that, that was true for me as well. Um, as we talked previously, um, you know, I was in law enforcement for 20 years. Gina Marie, how long have you been uh, with your department? I've been with my department for three years. So three years. And then, you know, Megan, I don't know if you know people that are officers that, you know, whether they've been on three years or whether they've been on 20 years, there's just a, a cynical bunch <laughs> and yes. you know it's a very cynical mindset about just a lot of, if not everything yeah I come from um so my father was um an officer for 33 years um retired after 33 years his father was one um and um I'm sort of immersed in that in that life um since 9-11 I when I became a yoga and meditation teacher, my um, goal was to try to help um, the you know first responders heal from the trauma that they experience every single day. And um, yeah, I've been immersed in that with um, people who have been through 9-11, um, marathon bombing, but just day-to-day -day, um, work. So yeah, I'm familiar with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's part of the problem, I think, too, right, Gina Marie, as far as like just the cynicism that they go into work and they have to deal with people at their worst every single day. Um, and, you know, you have all these different things that kind of play into this us against them attitude. But yet, you know, there's nobody on the back end for whatever reason, from my experience, there's nobody on the back end that's really um, curtailing that or helping that. So your program, right. your program, you guys do a ton of stuff that is amazing. Um, can you talk about like what that entails with how you guys are, in a sense, curbing that cynical nature and bringing back somebody centered? So I think that, um, unfortunately, um, the police and first responder world has viewed mental illness or not even like the extent, not even like a very extreme case of mental illness or addiction, but just the very minor things of like, you go to a horrible call, you go to a traumatic call, and we're expected to be superhuman, we're expected not to feel, we're expected not to think about it after that. And if someone doesn't expect us not to, they're sure as hell not asking us if we're okay. So that's just the climate. That's how we work. That's what we're expected to do. Um, I think that the higher ups that are in position now have come from a very 
if we don't talk about it, it doesn't happen or it's not happening kind of a thing. So they just don't address it. I do think that kind of the younger generation or those that will be taking, you know, the higher positions, sergeants, captains, lieutenants, I do think that they have been educated more thoroughly on mental illness. I think that we are starting to see a little bit of a shift in the fact that well, if I talk about how I feel, I won't necessarily be fired. I won't necessarily be thrown behind a desk and my gun taken away because it happens to everyone. The first responder able to get through an entire career without any sort of remnants of their career or any kind of um, side effects, so to speak, of their career, it's rare. And they may as well go play the lottery because that's how good your luck is. Um, and I think even with my department, I created our mental health policy last year. We didn't have one. Um, I think the East Coast is light years behind the West Coast with regard to mental health services, with regard to um, it being okay to have issues or to just be struggling day to day as a first responder. Um, I think that it's important for first responders to have a confidential outlet to talk about things. And with wellness for warriors, it doesn't have to be, you know, you've at, you're at your rope's end, you're at your wit's end, and you can no longer take anything anymore. It could just be, hey, I went on this terrible call and I can't stop thinking about it. Or we get the like 20 year detective too, who hasn't slept in 10 years, who tells me and Megan, they, you know, maybe get two to three hours of sleep at night. And that's how they're functioning. And you know that once you're not sleeping, every other bodily function suffers. So you're not eating right, your relationships, I'm almost positive aren't going well, or they could be a lot better if you had slept, if you weren't so cranky. Um, and then your mental processes are all lagging and all suffering. So, I mean, I think luckily we're trending upward as far as being more understanding of mental health. And our goal is to um, hopefully one day get in at the academy level, because in the academy, we're taught for weeks at a time how to deal with someone who were responding to a call and the subject has mental health issues, but we're not taught what we need to do and learn to take care of ourselves and survive our careers. No one sure. talks about that and no one teaches us that. So that's kind of our goal at uh, Wellness for Warriors is to teach first responders those skills to be able to have a productive, successful career, but also be successful once you retire too and not totally fall apart because you've lost your identity. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the, the biggest, um, what I would say, biggest hurdle in this is that I remember when I started my career, I was a 21-year-old, filled with, you know, piss and vinegar, ready to go solve the world's problems. I was ready to get into a pursuit, quick pursuit. I was ready to get into fights. I was ready to do all this stuff, right? And, you know, when somebody tells you something about, um, you know, hey, meditation or yoga, or, um, hey, your, your <laughs> sleep cycles, um, yeah. you know, your, your, your first thought is like, what, like, what does this have to do with anything? Right. I'm starting my career. And I think that's the biggest hurdle and the biggest change. You guys provide these, um, these things uh, through your organization. What is the most important thing that you've seen as a huge help or people that really need it? Like, is it nutrition? Is it um, the sleep cycle and the sleep therapy type stuff. Like, what have you seen that has really helped officers in their coping with whatever has has been going on in their lives? Megan, um, you can tell me if you think I, if you disagree, but I think that it depends and varies case to case. I think um, depending on the person, uh, because trauma is very much has a lot to do with perception. It had a lot to do with what you carry with you from your past. So you and I can be sitting on this call right now. The ceiling could fall in my, in my house, your house and Megan's house all at the same time. And I'm okay. You're all right. And Megan can't handle it. So I think your experiences, how you're brought up, your genetic makeup, all of that kind of determines what someone will need. But from my perspective too, sometimes just the relief of knowing that you have someone you can talk to is like the first step is someone that you can trust, establish a rapport with, and then we kind of take it from there of what else do you need? Where can we 
teach you different skills to just make your life, you know, a life worth living. Right. That's right. I think that the biggest thing um, we find is the peer support um, role. And we usually, that usually starts off with um, Gina Marie and we have um, a number of other active officers on our team who are peer supporters. And it really starts with that, having, like Jean Marie said, someone to talk to about what you've gone through. Because just like she said, you could just have one really terrible call, right, that sticks with you. And um, knowing that it's okay that it sticks with you, right, because you're taught to almost be robots. Um, go from call to call, critical incident to critical incident, and just sort of stuff it down. But the problem with that is just because you're law enforcement, just because you're a firefighter and you've trained physically, uh, you're still human. And you're going to have a natural reaction to what you're seeing. And it may not be that day. It may be, you know, a week, a month, a year from then. And guess what? Now it's bothering you. You haven't talked to anyone about it. And now you're not sleeping. And now you don't sleep. And so now, just like Gina Marie said, it, now it starts to trickle into everything, right? You start to not eat right. It starts to impact your relationships. Um, you're just simply not able to handle everything as well anymore because you haven't taken the time to understand that it's okay that that call or multiple calls uh, impacted me and I need to talk about it. And I always say um, we need to feel to heal. So if you went on a bad call, you need to talk to someone else who's seen that um, and, and know that it's okay to, to feel something about it, be able to process it so that you can move it and then you know take care of yourself uh, otherwise like sleeping um, because you know the mental affects the physical and so we try to approach it from a holistic standpoint but um, the biggest thing is always just the peer support start with talking about it and then determine from there what else and what other support someone might need right and i think it's a huge relief to officers um, to first responders in general, to have someone to talk to, to finally be able to talk to someone and be validated about everything you're feeling mm -hmm. and, to be, and to have what you're feeling and going through normalized. Because a lot of the people that we deal with don't realize that they're not the only one. Like you're not alone in this. Right. And it's okay to feel that way. And no one has to know that we talk. So sometimes, unless Megan and I are working together with someone and we just want to make sure we're not duplicating tasks or um, skills that we're teaching, we don't even tell each other what, I, what we talk to, you know, our first responders about. Right. I think that's a, I think um, you're right. I think the left coast is doing a far better job. I hear incredible stories out of uh, LA, LA Sheriff's uh, Office and LAPD and then also in Texas and then I hear horror stories out here on the east coast where yeah. officers are just getting rid of right and left as if they're um, you know just you know uh, another change of clothes you know what I mean and you know I just had a um, an incredible podcast with a leader in a in a very big agency out here in the DC area and what blew my mind is that he actually their department has built a brick and mortar wellness center strictly for helping first their their officers and all the things that you guys offer and you know somehow some way you guys are doing god's work but at the same time especially for you gina marie like for you to say that you just wrote their mental health policy to me that's like draconian like what <laughs> like what right? uh, yeah that's crazy how did, how is it like you just did that and, you know, what is it that you find as far as challenges, both of you, going into departments, uh, spreading the message of what you guys want to offer for services, and, you know, what are the challenges that you guys are seeing, if any, with leadership, with officers, whatever the case is, what are you guys seeing in that? 
I think that the biggest challenge is challenging the thought that if you have a mental health disorder or you're struggling with mental health issues, that you're somehow broken, damaged, and no good. Like mm. that you have to be getting, getting rid of that officer. And if I had to explain it um, to admin kind of like, if someone breaks their ankle at work, on duty or off duty, they get to know from a doctor to return to duty. They're fit for duty, whether it's light duty or full duty. They have a doctor's note, you put them back in. It's the same thing. Someone comes back from a mental health issue or needed some time off or was inpatient. There's a doctor signing off that they're fit for. They're ready to come back. And fitness clinic takes that lightly. We carry firearms. There's not a clinician that I know of that would sign off on a fitness for duty evaluation if there was a slight chance that that police officer or first responder was not ready to go back. There's way too much at risk. So I think just challenging that thought. And also, um, I think that just there's such a huge distrust within this profession that until people see like, oh, John talked to them and no one found out or John got sleep help from Megan and he's sleeping like a normal human now. Mm, if he thinks it's good, maybe like it's got to be word of mouth before they really will trust us, to be honest. Well, another one is also nutrition for you guys, right? Like nutrition yeah. is huge, right? Especially if you're working midnights. Yeah. I mean, midnights is really where people get that. We used to call it cruiser ass because they just used to sit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is, right? Like you go, you go to college, you gain your freshman 15 or 20. And some of us, you know, gain your freshman 40. You're like, what the hell happened in my life? But, but in, in, you go yeah. to this academy right? And then you lose and you probably, some people, for some people, it's like, oh, I was the best shape of my life. And then as soon as they get out onto the street, they leave their FTO, they start working midnights because that's where they usually put the rookies, right? And, you know, you start working midnights and then all of a sudden you're going to 7-Elevens, you're going to Dunkin' Donuts, you're going to the 24-hour, you know, nonstop places. And then next thing you know, you're back to your freshman 40 days. So the nutrition aspect is a huge yep. thing. Who's the one that's the, uh, the nutrition expert? I am, <laughs> Gina Marie. Um, <laughs> I do that because I, I've always been into health, nutrition, fitness my entire life. I was an athlete in high school. Um, I did martial arts for a very long time. I think that people, especially police officers, sometimes we don't have an option, right? You're stuck on a double, you're doing a short swing double, you're working midnight, you get stuck, you didn't plan to be there and you're stuck there. That happens a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. To prepare police officers and first responders to have snacks, to make better choices. If you have to go into the 7-Eleven to make the better choice of the two not so great ones, Um, because when you're not fueling your body properly, you won't be sleeping well, your mood won't be the same, your mental clarity is not the same, and you just feel like crap. Um, And if we can take control of that and make sure that you're prepping your foods and also educating first responders, because I found that no one actually knows what they should be eating. They take guesses, but no one's ever actually been educated about what good nutrition is, what they should be eating, when they should be eating, if they work out, do they need extra protein? Do they need extra supplements? Things like that to just educate them so that they know what they should be eat, eating and when. And then it kind of just becomes second nature. And I, I'm a huge proponent of not depriving yourself of anything when you're on a nutrition plan. And I don't like the word diet either. It should just be your way of eating, right? Diet infers that it's restricting. It's restrictive. You have to eat food that tastes terrible. I'm not about that at all. I think that everybody should eat a certain amount a day, not overeat, not undereat. But I also feel like if you feel like having a cookie or ice cream, have it. It's not going to ruin anything because if you deprive yourself, the likelihood of you binging is pretty good. And then it's harder to get back on track. Gotcha. And that's huge. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think early on in my career, it was like, you know, whatever, (laughs) It's, I looked at a bag of chips and it's like, oh, it says organic on these chips. I guess I can eat them. <laughs> right? Like, oh, it's 2 in the morning. What could go wrong? It's from 7-Eleven. Like, there's nothing wrong here. 
Um, as long as I have some water to wash it down, I'm, I'm staying pretty healthy. Um, but also, I think part of this, like for me lately, what's really helped me is the meditation aspect and also yoga. Um, and yes. I've, I've gotten into both, especially hot yoga. I was on a bike team or, a, or we used to call it a neighborhood patrol unit. And we were kind of jack of all trades, master of none for, for our precinct. Um, but at the same time, my lieutenant, who was the head of our team, was this like, I mean, he was about, you know, mental wellness and he was about yoga. And yeah. we would actually go to yoga on Tuesdays and he was like, no, we're going to do hot yoga. And he would talk about That's amazing. all the benefits. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he would talk about all the benefits and all that stuff. And here we are, you know, stripped down to our boxers, sweating our asses off. <laughs> yoga <studio. laughs> right? So, but, but, the, but the feel of how I felt, and then even at times when I've done it now, along with meditation, they kind of coincide, do they not, Megan? They do. They really, they really do. And normally, um, how I start is with the meditation um, with first responders, because it's normally that sort of busy minds that many uh, people come to me with is, um, you know, my mind is just, um, just constantly going, constantly racing. I'll, um, you know, come home from a midnight shift, just like you said, and be so, so exhausted yet for some reason, I just can't get to sleep. Right. Or I sleep and the sleep isn't just not restful. And then I wake up and I just feel terrible. That's, you know, what I hear from a lot of officers and that's because of this busy mind. Right. And so the aspect of meditation is to really allow you to, to bring it down from having had um, a really busy shift or that difficult call that sticks with you. You need to be able to help yourself focus once again and um, be able to, to put those thoughts sort of on hold, especially when you are on the job. Um, a lot of times, a lot of the techniques that I teach through meditation are to help people get through those difficult calls um, and to be able to focus on what they need to focus on at that moment and learn how to sort of de-escalate themselves during the call and then after afterwards what's a technique so, that you provide like so, i just i'm curious like give us something that is a, a application that somebody may be able to use after listening to this podcast yep so we do the um the box breathing which um i guess is also um a lot of officers will then say oh combat breathing i call it box yeah. breathing um right but that's so that's taking yourself down from 10 to 1 um, in your mind. And so you take that deep inhalation in and you count to 10, you hold it for 10, and then you release it for 10. And you keep that focused on that breath and you do it um, at least three rounds of it. And I've even spoken to officers who I've said, if you're in a, a moment where it's just all so much, you just step to the side and you do that for that moment. Um, obviously not if that, but if, if you're, not if you're, you know. Yeah, not in, not, not in, in a the fight. Of like a, not in exactly. a fight. You're like, hold but on, Mr. Suspect. I gotta, <laughs> too much. I got to go do my box um, breathing. <laughs> right. But we talk about, um, I, you know, I, um, many of the teams who are like, if they're going on a mission or um, they're about to, you know, execute a search warrant or something. Mm -hmm. um, they will do this in the truck together on their on their way, um, and they'll count it out together. Um, and it's just more so to just get themselves focused and ready for that. Or if you know they come upon a call where it's you know um, something devastating and it's you know a tragic accident or something. And like Gina Marie said, we all come to these events from a different place in life. So something could really affect an officer, one officer that doesn't affect another officer the same way. And they could come upon an, an accident that just overwhelms them. And they need to step to the side for a minute and really um, get their focus so that they can be fully present for this event and, um, and be okay while they're handling it. Um, so that's one thing I do. 
But then once we get the meditation going, um, then I'll bring you in so you can tell everyone how great the yoga is. Because <laughs> um, that usually takes you know a little bit. Um, they don't realize sometimes that it is uh, quite a workout. Um, but the, the nice part about yoga is, again, it is um, a time to really focus the mind um, and to sort of stop that busyness. And um, once you're on that mat, you, you have to focus on what you're, you're doing, right? So that um, you don't injure yourself and um, that you're, you know, you're really mindful about what you're doing. And what I find from a lot of um, first responders is they'll then say to me, like, wow, that I found peace on the mat, right? Because once you're starting to do the actions, it becomes a meditative state because meditation is what focusing on what you're doing, being fully present in what you're doing. Um, and then it carries over to the job. It carries over to your life. And um, it sort of all comes together where you find some peace throughout your days and your nights. Yeah, definitely. That's how I felt. It was kind of odd because it was one of these things where this is hokey. All I hear people doing is yeah. like, you know, bowing and being like, namaste. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, That's it, right? You know, and I was just like, oh my God, what, what am I doing here? But yeah, I mean, it was definitely a workout. Um, it definitely gave me a more centered perspective because I was able to not only be in pain, but also be able to breathe, like you said, and to kind of, you know, to be very controlled in my breathing, which correlates to law enforcement because you are in condition yellow, right, Jana Marie? Mm -hmm. Like you're in condition yellow, you're, you're driving around, you're playing all these what-if scenarios in your head, and then if something pops off, you need to be, you know, lickety-split, whether to be a tactical athlete, all of a sudden you got to act in this. And your heart rate goes from like whatever beats per minute, you know, depending on your fitness level to possibly 180 or over 180 beats per minute where, you know, at that point you're losing, you're, you're losing in a sense, a lot of faculties that you need, which then yep. you just need to breathe back in that tunnel vision. Um, right. And so I think too, even the flip side of that is that you're going to a call and you're playing through every scenario that you might be confronted with in the way there and your heart rate's escalated, but then you get there and, okay, it didn't turn out to be that bad. Yeah. And so, but your body's still going through the same adrenaline up and downs. And if you're not fit and if you're not healthy, it's going to affect your heart and your mind a lot differently than if you are taking care of yourself. And just to um, one piece that you um, mentioned that I really liked a lot was you said you sometimes when you're on the mat, you're um, in pain um, and you're breathing through it. And so this is one piece that um, where we see the physical kind of connect with the mental, right? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. what you learn from this and through meditation and through yoga um, is to breathe through the pain. But the thing is, um, a lot of what Gina Marie and I focus on is the mental aspect. And so there's a lot of pain with the job, but it's, you know, mental, it's emotional. It's what you've seen and what comes up from what you've done. And so, you know, meditation, mindfulness, this helps you to sit with that and to not start to, you know, what we see a lot with first responders, and it's very, very understandable, is that they start to have these sort of maladaptive coping mechanisms, right? When this pain comes up, that is emotional and mental. Um, they reach for the drink. They, you know, start to do things that um, aren't very healthy for them. But it's because they haven't been given the, the coping skills to be able to handle and to sit with, with that pain because it's very, very difficult. Um, and so that's, that's a huge piece that it's not just physical for us. It's very mental. Um, and that a lot of what we do, um, to take care of the body is, is to take care of the mind. Right. And I think one thing that I've, um, found myself repeatedly saying to different, uh, officers that we work with is that 
no matter what the emotion is that you're feeling, whether you're scared, anxious, sad, depressed, whatever you want to call it, it never lasts forever. You're never happy forever. You're never angry forever. You're never scared forever. Every emotion passes. So part of what we both do is teaching the skill to get through that moment, to breathe through it, to use skills to be able to know, okay, this sucks right now, but in a few minutes, in an hour, it's going to be gone. And teaching the first responders what to do to navigate through that and to come out the other side. And I'm like, all right, I handled that. And, you know, it's also important for everyone to remember that until this minute today, you've made it through a hundred percent of your bad days. Like you've got something that enables you to make it through every day. Let's figure it out and play that. That's huge, right? That's a warrior's mindset, truly. I mean, you know, and we talk about this word warrior in law enforcement um, and first responders is is such a, you know, but the part of being a warrior is also being mindful of your own care. And, you know, people would be like, oh, well, you know, we call ourselves sheepdogs. We relate ourselves to all these different things where, you know, from an action oriented, yes, but at the same time, like, there has to be a mindset that has to be towards, uh, you know, self care and, and self mindfulness and the aspect of keeping, keeping everything healthy from within because I always give the analogy of like, if I, you know, I've done my share of therapy, I've done my share of, um, you know, group stuff too. And one of the things that I found is that, you know, I, you know, uh, somebody would say, well, you know, it sounds selfish that you're like, you know, taking the self-care, whether it's working out or whether it's going to do all these different things, you know, those are people that are unlearned, right? But yet at the same time, I said this, I said, how, if I'm on an airplane, how can I save your life if I have not yet put on that gas mask or that, that air mask for myself? Um, You know, and that's the same thing, right? Like I can't help you. I can't help the community and give the community the best of me if I'm not taking care of the things that make me the best, which is these things that you're talking about. Um, Go ahead. You have something? I was was just going to say, we have to remember that we do, we see people in their worst moments of their lives. No one calls the police or the fire department because they're having a great day and they just want to let us know. It's because they're having a terrible time. They don't? And then we have to be, (laughs) well, there are those special cases. Everyone knows about them. There's some that just want to see the police. <laughs> that is true, too. Um, but we have to make sure that when we get there and when we show up, we are capable of handling physically, mentally, emotionally, being there for that person. They're going to need us at their weakest moment. And we have to be the ones to be able to carry them through. So you can't show up to a call and not be able to physically do it, to mentally handle what you see. Like you have to, but you also have to make sure that at the end of the day, you're capable of going back and doing it the next day without doing harm to yourself. That's key. Now I'm going to ask a specific question, Megan, you can chime in and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to ice you out with this question. (laughs) I just, I'm interested because Um, it's from a, you know, I always, my mom, just to give you background, my mom was almost, she was a very high ranking woman when she left the department. She integrated the department I've worked for. Um, she was the first woman to integrate the department. So she told me a lot of war stories and a lot of crazy stories about how she was treated. Um, and from a female perspective though, like entering the world into a male dominated, you came from working with therapists and, and getting, you know, all that stuff, intake and outpatient care. And, you know, from what I would consider, and I don't know, this may be my assumption, probably more of a female dominated profession to a more male dominated profession. And like, what is it that you saw? Or do you, did you have any challenges? Did you have any like mental, emotional, like physical challenges that was presented with possibly kind of like a barbarian attitude of men? and in this world? So I have to say that I've been lucky. The department I work at, I, listen, I can't tell you for sure that they didn't have their own, the guys didn't have their own conversations. I was the only female for a while. Oh, wow. um, so I don't know if the guys didn't have conversations about worrying about whether or not I could handle myself or anything like that. Um, but they never 
let me feel that. So I've been very lucky in that the guys that I work with have never made me feel like I have to worry about them worrying about me. I also just my personality and who I am as a person is that I don't ever want to seem like um, that. I don't ever want to seem like that weak person. Mm-hmm. So I will always make sure that I'm good. I will always make sure that I am able to come to aid to any of the guys I work with. That that'll never be a question. And I've never. I was actually having this conversation with someone this weekend. <laughs> My upbringing. I don't ever remember a time, no matter what it was that I wanted to do, wanted to try to do, that I ever thought to myself, I can't. Or I don't think I can. I did martial arts in a time where there was no females. All of my tournaments, I fought boys. There just weren't girls at that point. Um, so I guess that gave me the confidence of like, I got this. And if I am not the best at this, I'm going to give it my best and do what I have to do to get there. So that's just who I am. I do think, though, that a, uh, and I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but I do think that there is a personality of female that would not um, fare so well in mm. a male-dominated field. Mm-hmm. I, I have heard stories. I personally don't know any female police officers that I can say are like that or that are not pulling their weight and making sure that they are capable. Um, but I know that they do exist. And I know that like any other subgroup of human, you have one, you know, person who gives the rest of us a bad rap. But I've not, luckily, I've not experienced anything negative thus far. That's awesome. The reason I also asked that too is because we're talking about a lot of mindfulness and a lot of things that, you know, certain people and and me included when I was a Neanderthal before I started getting into mind mindfulness and therapy and all this work that I've been doing, trauma therapy. EDMR, brain spotting, uh, you know, all these different things, right? You know, um, before that, though, I was like, oh, like, come on, like, that's for, you know, yoga, that's for women, you know, um, yeah. mindfulness, like, what are you yeah. talking about? Like, that sounds like a very, very feminine thing for you to say, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. well, yeah. so, but that's not, not, that's not the case. That's not the case, right? Like, this, this is something that's so important on any gender right? Like this is what needs to be talked about. And that's why I brought up this whole, you know, because, because law enforcement's a machismo culture, let's just call it what it is. You know, it is akin to the military, which you compartmentalize, you don't talk about your feelings. If you do want to talk about your feelings, you better have a pint of beer in front of me. And we really won't talk about our feelings, but we'll talk about it maybe through ogling, oogling women, or whatever the case is. And ultimately, it's just like you said, Megan, these are all maladaptive uh, things that law enforcement does. But the gender aspect of this, it has nothing to do with anything. All this is legit. It's real. What you guys provide is an incredible, incredible uh, service. Can you speak more to the services that you guys provide? And is it just for the first responders or is it also for families? So yeah, so we, um, this is for families as well, um, first responders and families. Uh, We actually um, are even uh, extending it now to children of first responders. Um, We recognize that right now, especially this past year, it's been very, very challenging for um, children of first responders, the the stress that has been on families and the isolation from quarantine, school, all of that. Um, And our amazing Gina Marie is running some amazing uh, kids groups that um, are allowing them to come together and feel supported. Uh, But we, sorry, sorry, so I have for the, our first round of groups actually 40, children of first responders from 17 different states. Wow. So yeah, and I think it's pretty cool to have kids and they range in age from five to 17. And I've split them up in with uh, age group and developmental level. So I have activities planned for them that are appropriate for their age. Um, And some of the teenagers, parents, um, 
spouses of first responders, first responders themselves have said that their child was experiencing anxiety and worry about their first responder parent leaving the house. Mm. And then they can't talk to their civilian friends because they don't know whose parents support or dislike first responders. So, and they can't relate. Like you can't relate to what it's like for your dad or your mom to leave the house and everyone hate them just because they went to work. Mm. So we're having our groups for the first, our first round is next weekend. I'm extremely excited. Like I can't wait to meet these kids. (laughs) And so we're, yeah, we're so, we're so excited about that. And, um, and we also understand how much um, it touches all family members. So we have um, an incredible individual on our team, Emily Nymphs, um, her husband, but, uh, Benji Nymphs, he was actually um, a deputy down in Florida and was killed um, in an accident responding to a call. And, um, you know, she is so resilient. She is the epitome of just grace and strength. And um, she has come out of it uh, wanting to help the spouses of other first responders, those grieving, but also those who just deal with the stress every day of their spouse going out into the job. You know, it, it really impacts everyone in the family. And we understand that they also need support. Um, just dealing with the, the stress of it right now. So we offer it to um, all of the family. This uh, children's group, we're just incredibly excited about. Jean Marie's just been working so, so hard. We're just so proud of what she's doing and, and how amazing it's going to be. Um, but yeah, so we're, we're really here for, for everyone. And just to sort of um, touch upon the piece that you were talking about, about how it's... Um, you know, certainly a culture where you start to bring in mindfulness and meditation and yoga and, and all of that. Um, right after the, the fire that I, I spoke about, um, I am a very, uh, we, um, I think you listened to our other podcast and I did come out with um, the, the name Rainbow Bright, I think, um, because I am the more empathetic um, <laughs> I am she just said she's more empathetic than that, right? No, no. <laughs> Thanks. No. I not, you were not the softer more, approach. Not, not hey, I'm not more. getting involved in this. This is <laughs> this is between two co-founders. I, this is, no. I'm not, not not more empathetic, but I am the the empath on the team. And so um well Gina Marie is as well. But we know that I I feel it all. And um when after this fire, I felt that I just needed to, um, I needed to help, right? I needed to go to this firehouse and I needed to be with the brothers of these two firefighters. And I, I didn't even know what my role would, would be um, mm-hmm. at that point. And slowly, one by one, each one would come and talk with me and and we would speak and um, they would say to me, what I'm saying to you right here, I can't say around the, you know, dinner table at the firehouse. And um, that just sort of led to the, you know, the discussion and my passion for, for wanting to do this work because what I fully recognized in that moment was this suffering that our first responders feel and carry with them, but that there is really no place to feel comfortable um, to let it out. And, and, and that is a very, very difficult and heartbreaking thing to, to think about uh, the work that you do every single day and, and what you do for people you don't even know, the sacrifices and the selflessness, and then there's no one for you to be able to go to, to be able to, to open up. And that's, you know, sort of where this came from was that they need a place, a confidential space to not feel like this is going to impact their career in, in one way or another. Um, but that they can talk about it and feel it and not feel like there, there's going to be the stigma or, or judgment passed um, on them or on their career. Uh, it's definitely needed, and you guys are filling a gap that is, 
I think all across the country that needs to be filled. And it's unfortunate that departments on a whole, from what I've heard from, just from my experience, um, they're not filling it. And for whatever reason, it takes people like you and Gianna um, and Megan, you guys are filling something that is, is so, so important because we're, we're I think we're gonna be, I don't wanna be, you know, Nostradamus on such a sad point, but I mean, with everything that's gone on the past couple of years, with especially this past year with the riots, with uh, demonizing of police and defunding police. And, you know, we know all the rhetoric and, but ultimately what's come down with that is there's a, there's a collateral damage, which is the mentality and the morale that is, you know, uh, pushed upon, um, you know, departments and their frontline officers. And so with that, if they're not getting the proper care, right, if they're not getting the proper care and the proper outlets, to be able to express themselves, like we just talked about, Megan, where they don't feel that they're going to be, there's not this retribution or this fear of um, leakage from EAP or from peer support within their department. If they don't have that, you know, I, man, I, I just don't want to say it, but, you know, we, what, in 2019, there was 228 suicides. And, you know, we're, we're moving down a bad path now. Um, just even with the online of duty deaths. And, um, you know, so what you guys are doing, honestly, I cannot, I cannot stress enough how important your work is, especially with the kids and especially with, you know, because people don't think about that. They just stop at the officer. They stop at the person that's doing the job. They don't go to the kid. They don't go to the family. Um, and, you know, they just leave it at where it is. Um, so, one of the things I wanted you guys to get out is like, so are you guys just specifically, so Boston, you guys are from Boston and New York, but some, how did you guys meet for one? How did you get to this point? And then are you guys like able to deal with people outside of your, I guess, circumference of where you guys are located? So we met working on another nonprofit project, um, also for first responders. So that's how we met. Uh, we both ended our, our um, work with them and then decided that we weren't quite done with doing our work and doing the work that we are so passionate about. So we decided to put our skill sets together and conquer the world. Um, but we are, <laughs> I, love it. We are um, I mean, that's our plan, but yeah. um, we, <laughs> because we mostly um, are serving people from all over the country, we're not really um, specializing in an area or anything. I think that once um, COVID restrictions are less stringent, we'll be able to do some in-person things and some events, which we're looking forward to. So hopefully when the weather breaks, we'll be able to do that kind of stuff too. Awesome. Yeah, we're hoping, we're definitely hoping um, right now when we take in um, calls um, and requests throughout our website, uh, it can be from anywhere in the country. Um, we offer peer support throughout the country. And, um, you know, like June Marie had mentioned earlier, you know, we're hoping at some point to be able to get to the academy level because our, you know, our goal is really to be preventative and to provide the tools from the beginning. Uh, she and I, um, she in particular, has really been part of um, some calls that have been you know, really right there where the, the officer is, is, is certainly ready to, um, they just can't take it anymore. And uh, we just don't want to see anyone get to that point um, anymore. And we just wanna, we wanna be there to provide the resources from the get-go to, to keep everyone, you know, feeling good. Yeah, yeah I think all of this is um, a matter of, changing all this to where we're saving lives you guys are saving lives you know and, and really it's really i mean you can look at it as saving a career and a job and a pension and all this other stuff but really all that stuff doesn't matter if you're not changing the aspect of the thought process of i want to kill myself too no i matter and there's right. other people like me 
And so therefore you're changing lives. You guys are changing lives and that's what it's all about. You guys are doing, like I said earlier, you guys are doing God's work and you know, I'm so grateful for what you guys have established. Um, so we're getting to the end here. I would offer you guys to plug away your, your company, your, your wellness for warriors, your website, your social media, you know, whatever it is you want to put out there to where, who can get in contact with you, where can they get in contact with you? Um, and then also uh, previous to that, if you can just give each of you, give what your overall message is and what you want somebody to take away from this episode. I think what I would say my message um, is, is that we are here for all of our first responders and their family members and that we are free and we are confidential and we understand um, the fear around reaching out. I think that that is the biggest barrier that we are trying to overcome right now. Uh, we know that there are people suffering, that um, this job is a very, very difficult job. And um, it requires so much sacrifice and so much selflessness. And yet the support that should be there is not there. And um, I've just been so grateful to meet Gina Marie and we have um, just an amazing team of people who feel the same way. And we, you know, we want to protect the protectors. We want to be there for your physical and mental health. And that, that is who we are. That is what we are here for. Um, and, you know, we are just the biggest piece we constantly say is we are confidential. So you can come to us and we are here um, and, and we're just here to help. So um, that, is, that would be my message. Um, I'll let Gina Marie talk. Um, so to piggyback on that, um, my message is this. What we do is not easy, um, especially in the climate that we're in right now where we're expected to be perfect all of the time and to be superheroes. Um, without the things that superheroes get. It's not easy, but it's doable. There are ways for you to get through the difficult days, the difficult calls, and the lasting effects of those calls, and that's what we're here to do. Um, we're just here to provide support and to get you through whatever you need help getting through, and there is no problem too small. There's not anything that I would ever say, oh my God, I can't believe this guy called me today. Even if you just need someone to talk to because you don't feel like talking to your friends. I think we've all had those days where you're like, I need someone to talk to, but I don't want to hear what this one has to say. I know what she's going to say. Give us a call. So um, with that being said, you can go on our website. Our website is wellness for warriors. Everything's spelled out dot live on there. You can check off whatever service you want in any combination you want. So if you think you just, need help with nutrition and you just want to get some advice or want to get back in the swing of things, you can check that off. Um, you can actually schedule yourself with meditation and mindfulness with Megan from the website. You can sign up for our next kids group, which is in April and first responder spouses and family members, please do the same. Go onto our website get onto our Instagram page. It's wellness underscore the number four underscore warriors. And that's our Instagram page. You can DM us there. You can check out our content there. Um, anyone who needs help, just reach out. And we, it's either Megan or I usually that responds with in 24 hours. Thank you so much, ladies. That This has been a great, um, just informative and just a very, encouraging uh, with just this movement that I've seen um, just across the nation with nonprofits. And I know that you guys are not a nonprofit, but just with the mission of helping first responders. Um, you know, I want to leave it with this is that I heard a great quote and it said, instead of building bigger and taller walls, how about build a longer and wider table in order for people to become together in order to help each other, right? And mm -hmm. that's what it's about. You know, we're building a bigger table as we talk here because 
you guys have voice or you guys have uh, listeners um, that are about your mission. And I have listeners that are about the mission as well. So all we can do is we can just galvanize together and just, again, let me help you conquer the world and we'll be good. <laughs> yeah, you're in, you're in. We love so, that. We need all the help that. Thank you. All right. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank, Thank you, you for having us.